Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship. Church family, good morning. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the Go, wherever you happen to be, wherever you're traveling. Whatever you're doing, we're so grateful to have you tune into worship this way. Uh, We are in our second Sunday of Advent. Christmas is fast approaching. We are also in uh, stewardship season, and, and one of the things we're hoping for is to really have everyone who accesses our ministry, whether in person or online, to participate in our stewardship campaign at whatever level uh, the Lord prompts you to give. So if you would, and I'd really appreciate this when you're done listening, if you just go back to the email that you received prompting you to um, click on this podcast, right below that there's a make your pledge today uh, link. And and if you just go in and do that, that would be great. Um, We wind up talking about stewardship a lot as we try to draw people in, and we really do want to expand our reach this year. So if you feel like you've been blessed by the ministry of our church, whether in person or online, we'd love to have you participate in the campaign. So hopefully you'll do that. Uh, But before we do, let us settle our hearts and minds for the word, the will, the way of God to be presented to us in whatever way the Spirit desires today as we listen. Listen to our anthem.
So on the second Sunday of Advent, we're actually looking at our memory verse. Each month we start with a new memory verse, hoping that you all will spend some time actually memorizing that scripture so that it can dwell in you in important ways. One of the things we see in Jesus's life and ministry is that he knew scripture by heart so that when he was challenged, when he was in a moment of crisis, he could draw on it. And we want the same for ourselves. I, I want that same thing for you as a person of faith. So we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and a portion of this is our memory verse. And I know you know this text well. It is at uh, so many weddings offered up as the scripture. Um, it says in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away my possessions, if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then we get to the memory verse portion. Paul writes, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, and then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. And then this hymn of love ends with two words, pursue love, pursue love. And I want to just add to that the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples, as is recorded in the Gospel of John. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, say, said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you that uh, we have some time each week to meditate, uh, not just on your word, but on what you desire to speak to us so that we might be transformed by your grace and goodness and love. Uh, we pray this for ourselves and for your world. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul wrote this gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous hymn of love to the Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. Um, it was a church family that had begun at this time to kind of segregate and segment themselves according to their perceived giftedness. So the more gifted a person was, the more respect they were given in that church. The less given, less gifted, the less respect. So it was this community of faith that had begun to lack charity for one another. And, and the apostle no, Paul knew who, who kind of formed this faith community. He knew a thing or two about the perils of faith without compassion. As you probably remember, before he was the apostle Paul, the great evangelist of the Christian faith, he was Saul. Saul, a Roman citizen, a Jew. Specifically, he was a Pharisee who zealously promoted the ways and laws of God. 
Uh, Saul believed himself to be righteous. Some might say, and I think Paul himself would say, looking back on his life, that he was actually self-righteous. Indeed, Paul confessed that he had believed himself to be so very good and right that he aggressively and carelessly persecuted the earliest followers of Jesus. We know that he would go and literally arrest people who said that they followed Jesus, and and he oversaw and and approved of the execution of Stephen, uh, the first, very first Christian martyr. So all that changed. If you remember Paul's story, all that changed when the resurrected Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And as the story goes, uh, Paul was struck blind. He was radically changed in that moment, and the direction of his life was altered. And, and this is the moment when, when Saul turns into Paul, and, and Paul believed that it was grace, that encounter was grace, and that somehow God chose to love Paul, chose to love him into a new person. Now, I bring this up because Paul was always mindful, I think, of his self-righteous and lethally harmful past, and it, it, it haunted him a bit. And, and I think you can hear this in the first verses of this discourse on love. So th- this passage is directed to the Corinthians who are struggling to be careful and charitable with one another, but I think it's also evocative of something that Paul knew about himself. He said, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy, noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, if I have faith as to remove mountains, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. Literally, I am nothing. Can you hear the confessional element in that? I mean, Paul knew firsthand that all the giftedness and ability in the world, all of that doesn't amount to much, or, or, or giftedness can be used in truly harmful ways if love is not present. According to Paul, the greatest expression of the Christian faith is not wisdom, it's not knowledge, it's not impressive allocution, but the ability and the choice to love. Now, Christian love, as preached by Jesus and Paul and other New Testament writers, was different than many other expressions of love professed in the Hellenistic and Greek-influenced world. There was uh, Eros, you're probably familiar with that one, Eros, that romantic or passionate love typically experienced between two people. It's a kind of um, conditional love that was shared as long as it worked for both involved. There was also a philia love, right? That kind of strong binding commitment and affection between friends. It's where we get Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. This again was a love that was conditional on the friendship somehow benefiting all parties. But then there was agape love. And that's the love spoken of in this passage of 1 Corinthians. It's it's a kind of self-giving and self-sacrificial love that was unique to Christianity. Just don't hear about it much apart from the New Testament. Uh, This is offering yourself to another without wanting or needing anything return. It is love for love's own sake. It's the kind of love that the disciples had witnessed in Jesus when Jesus willingly sacrificed himself for his friends giving yourself for others, others who are not biologically connected. That was quite unusual, nearly unbelievable. And yet the Bible tells us that that kind of divine, that kind of altruistic love is the kind of love God has for us. And it's the kind of love God wants us to share with each other. And that's exactly what Jesus and Paul lived and preached. Uh, Both Jesus and Paul knew the transformative power of love. I mean, Paul knew it because God's love had literally changed him into a new person. So that's why Jesus and Paul boldly advocated to love enemies, because you could change them in that way. 
Love your neighbors. Love each other within the church. Yeah, it's Jesus's new commandment that I read to you. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We are known, according to this, we're known by our love or our lack thereof. Now, as you might imagine, as a pastor, love and Paul's hymn of love are matters and material I spend a fair amount of time reflecting upon. 1 Corinthians 13 remains to this day the go-to scripture for most Christian weddings. Now, every once in a while, a couple will want to get creative and will try to find some alternative and lesser-known passage in the Bible in an effort to be original. But you know, even though 1 Corinthians 13 was not composed with weddings in mind, right? It was, it was composed to try to get uh, church members to care for one another. With that said, it's still hard to pick something better than this scripture when a couple is contemplating a lifetime commitment to love one another. It's a scripture that is both beautiful and instructive. It's the kind of divine encouragement that any and everyone attempting to intentionally bind themselves to another needs in order to be successful. So, so take marriage for a moment. Uh, it's not an easy arrangement, right? We all know that. Uh, I, I'm aware as a pastor, I'm aware statistically speaking that of the marriages I officiate, nearly 50% of first marriages will end in divorce and nearly 75% of second marriages will end similarly. Now, I just want to say that in my family, divorce is actually fairly common. Most of the adults in my family have been divorced and a number of them have been divorced more than once. So my heart goes out to folks who made vows with the best of intentions only to have that commitment for one reason or another come to an end. Now, what I've noticed with every couple that I meet in anticipation of a wedding day, what I notice is that they're entirely in love. But typically, at least initially, it's that eros kind of love. It's passionate, it's desire-based, it's a kind of you-complete-me interpersonal connection. It's a, a, a what I receive from you fills me up and I want to feel that full for the rest of my life. Now, that kind of eros or erotic love, it's not a bad thing, but you know, if love is largely an emotional, conditional, perhaps even transactional arrangement, if, if, if love is a kind of, I'm in this relationship with you as long as it feels good to me, if that's the basis, then that love can be really difficult to maintain. What I've learned over time is that for loving relationships to endure, eros or even philia, love needs to evolve into an agape love. Instead of a love based on what I can get, it needs to transform into a love formed out of what can I give? And I'll tell you, if a married couple or if best friends for that matter are to be successful in staying together over the long run, love has to transition from self-interested to self-sacrificing, a love that puts the needs of the other before personal needs. And I'll tell you, if two people are both willing to do that for each other, odds are pretty darn good they're going to stay together. Now, the other great difference between Eros love and agape love is that the emotional nature and attraction of Eros love is something you can kind of fall into and out of, right? You can fall in love, fall out of love, almost by accident. It's this love at first sight. Eros love, Eros love kind of happens to you, oftentimes unexpectedly. However, and this is the difference, agape love is never accidental. It is always a choice. It's always intentional. The kind of love that Jesus and Paul advocated for is a decision. There's deliberate intention to agape love. And that choice, 
That choice to love is the basis of our faith. Christians choose to love. This biblical agape love is an activity that you can choose to engage in. It's a choice that can transform lives and relationships and circumstances for good. And Paul, the writer of this hymn of love, knew that firsthand. Now, one of the other things Paul understood is that love is, in fact, God's power, perhaps God's greatest power. I don't know about you, but I'd never really considered that before. You know, love as an emotion, perhaps love as an action, but the ability to love is a power. I mean, that's intriguing. The power, a power to be yielded for good. So agape love, the self-sacrificing love is God's superpower, if you will. And if you know your Bible, ever since Noah and the flood, ever since the Tower of Babel and the smiting of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God dealt with sin by destroying the sin and the sinners, and apparently that didn't work if you read through the Old Testament, God, God now chooses love. Love from those moments on is how God has chosen to deal with us. Love is how God has decided to try to change us into better people. God believes if you, listening right now, if you understand that you are completely and unconditionally loved, God believes you're going to be able to share that love with others, and the ripples of that divine love will flood into creation and cleanse it for good. God is counting on the power of love to heal a broken and sinful world, that love can heal broken and sinful people. And I'm going to bet you've experienced this. I mean, if you've ever been forgiven for something you shouldn't have been, if you've ever been loved when you felt unlovable, if you've ever been embraced and supported when your best efforts have utterly and embarrassingly failed, well, then you know the power of love that puts the interests of others before oneself. Now, here's the thing. Like God, we too can choose to use the power of love to change people and the world for better. It is our power to wield to transform those around us for good as well. When you're faced with a difficult person or personality and you just decide, you choose, you decide to love them to death, not merely killing them with kindness, but literally flooding them with love. You know, when you do that, when you choose that, you, you both tend to get swept up and carried to a better place. Love is power. It's the power of God and we can choose to use it ourselves. So love is powerful, but we also know love is work, right? It ain't easy. Uh, if love is, as Paul says, if love is patient and kind, if love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude, then what that means, love is real work. This kind of love is not an emotion, as I said, that you fall into and out of. It is work you need to practice day in and day out. And love is the primary work of our faith. Not only is love the great power of God, we're told in scripture, love is the very nature of God. In the first letter of John, it says literally, God is love. Thus, okay, I like to use that word every once in a while, thus, by doing the work of love, by practicing love, by choosing love, we grow closer, perhaps get closer to God. In 1 John, it says, beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. What that means is in our loving of others, we experience something of the divine and we literally draw close to God. So because love is such an important and powerful force for good in our lives and our world, I want to suggest that we practice agape love this Advent. Um, 
many of you know that we encourage Lenten disciplines for six weeks of Lent. We, we uh, uh, engage in uh, giving some things up or taking some practices on to deepen our faith. Years ago, I started doing that with Advent as well, having some Advent disciplines that I wanted to cultivate. And the great news about that is that Advent is a lot shorter than Lent, so it's easier to maintain. But I want to suggest an Advent discipline. Uh, We have two weeks left in Advent. That's it. On Sunday the 18th, 14 days from today, we're going to light the candle of love in the Advent wreath. And and I want to suggest that each of us choose to work on loving someone uh, we find rather difficult to be with between now and then. I want us to take our memory verse. And if you come to worship, if you're around, you grab that card we've got for you, or you just jot down those words, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or resentful or boastful, right? Um, Write that down and then try to apply to someone you struggle with those attributes of love that Paul expresses. Now, I'm not suggesting you try to go out and love an enemy just yet. No, no, no. Let's start small. Just apply love intentionally to someone you find somewhat difficult to be charitable with. And and if you write out that scripture, because that's a great way to memorize it, put the name, write it out on a card maybe, and put the name of the person you're going to work to love on the top of that card. Put this card somewhere where you will continually see it. Don't put it somewhere where others can see it, particularly if the person you're trying to love is in close proximity to you. And then choose to be patient and kind with that person. Pray for the ability, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, to refrain from being rude or irritable or resentful with the person you're naming on your card. Each day, choose to believe and to hope and to endure all things for the person you're attempting to love. Practice love for the next 14 days straight and, and, and see how that person might change. See how your relationship might change. See how you might change. See what good can come from practicing your faith by choosing to love. Now, just a final note about Paul. For all the overzealous and self-righteous behavior that Paul exhibited in his pre-Jesus life, throughout his letters, Paul absolutely preached about making our best effort in matters of faith. He, He definitely wanted us to choose to do the hard work of God in the world. However, Paul constantly mentioned that the work of faith is about striving for a goal striving for a goal, not necessarily achieving it. When, when Paul had been an abusive and self-righteous Pharisee, he felt faith was a task one could accomplish with one's own effort alone. However, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, Paul came to believe that we must choose to make our best efforts while trusting, trusting God's grace, trusting God to join us in our work to make our faith and lives complete. Now, the last two words of this hymn are, and I read them to you, Pursue love. Pursue love. Other translations for these words uh, are, are translated strive for love or, or follow the way of love or go after a life of love as if your life depended on it because it does. So what that means is make your best effort at loving someone this, effort, this advent and trust God to complete your efforts. See, agape love is the power of God to transform all people and all circumstances for good. So choose it. Practice it, become good at it. And in your self-giving and self-sacrificing love, you're likely going to discover God and perhaps even rediscover God's love for you. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, the, the best way to give love to others is to receive, to receive the love you have for us. And sometimes that's just 
a challenge for us because we do feel so flawed and sinful so much of the time. It's hard to believe that you could, in fact, love us completely and eternally. So, Lord God, in these next 14 days, as we think about how we might love someone that we struggle with, help us to claim the love that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, church family, as you enter into this month of December, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website, www.godsacre.org, or within today's email. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.